Have you ever heard the saying, uh, players make the best coaches? Maybe you've heard that. Well, I did some research on that this week because I heard that before, and I'm like, I wonder if that's really true. So I did some research, and this is what I found out. I, saw that, I found out that that's not necessarily true, that the best players don't always make the best coaches. There are times in which we can, we can see from professional sports that those that attain to the highest level of perfection in their, their abilities in whatever sport there is, some have tried to make the jump from there into coaching, and some have been very, very, very successful and been able to make that jump, but some have epically failed in their ability to go from being a great player to even being a coach at all. And so I did some research, and in one of the articles I was reading this week um, did a study on that, and uh, one of the things they tried to determine is, is what helps make a, a good player or a great player become a great coach? What, what's the difference? Why do some make it and why do some not? And, and what they found is, is that great players that make great coaches are able to do something. And what they're able to do is they're able to communicate what makes greatness. For example, if I'm a, mediocre, if I'm a great player, and I'm a great hockey player, okay, and I know how to play hockey, I know how to use my stick, I know how to skate fast, I know how to do all those other things, uh, and then I try to, try to coach someone, I know in my mind what greatness is because I have done it. But if I can't make the jump from being a good player to, or a great player to being a great coach, I miss out on being able to communicate. So, for example, if I am a coach and I see the players, I'm like, you just need to skate faster. You, the problem is, I can see that you're not skating fast enough, so, so skate faster. Well, that's not really helping the athlete know exactly how to skate faster. By just telling them, skate faster, skate faster, that's not actually helping them. So a great coach is able to say, you need to skate faster, and this is how you skate faster. You skate faster by digging in the blades a little bit more or pushing off from the tips of your toes. I don't know if that's how actually you skate faster because I'm not really. But just imagine with me for a moment. But that's how they're able to do that. So great players can become great coaches if they're able to communicate how others can attain that same greatness. And today as we uh, turn our attention, uh, as Paul is writing to the Romans, we see this in Paul. Paul has, as we look back to the annals of Christian history, we, we look back and we see that Paul was a great missionary. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, just under Christ, right? Christ is the greatest missionary. He is the one that has, has come and, and paved the way and was the way so that we could be reconciled back to God. But then there's Paul. Like Paul comes on the scene and is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's amazing. I love how Paul, in the book of Romans, he, he is, as a player, he's still in the game. He's still doing, he's still carrying out the great commission. He's living it. But then he also takes time to help communicate and coach other Christians. This is how you do it. This is, this is how Christ is doing it in me, and now this is how you do it. And he communicates in such a clear way that if we would listen to what Paul has to say, we can be the same type of of missionary he was. Remember, we're all called to be missionaries. God has given the Great Commission not just to his disciples. He's given the Great Commission to the church. He's given the Great Commission to you and to me. It's something that is a part of our identity. When we come to know Christ, we come to carry out the Great Commission. And so Paul, especially as he's moving to the end of this book to the Romans... We see Paul is a great 
missionary. And he's going to share with us how we can allow Christ to develop this great commission mindset in our own hearts. So if you take out your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're going to see how we can live on mission. And Paul's going to give us the great example. And here, here's what's, what's neat about this. Is we see that through scripture, we see Christ modeled the way. Christ modeled the way to live on mission. Every single day, he lived in com- complete and total communion with God, where he was listening to the words of God and being obedient <coughs> to follow um, God in, in every way that he was, as he lived. <coughs> Excuse me. We see Paul follows Christ. We see pa- Paul follows Christ's example. And now Paul is giving us the example. He's saying, now follow my example that I give to you through Christ's power. And that's what he's going to begin to do. As, as he's already given us a great theological framework, a great application of theology, and now he's giving us some closing words um, in this letter. Look with me in, in Romans chapter 15. <coughs> verses, uh, beginning verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So we can stop right there, and we can see, like any great player or any great coach, any great coach, when he's sitting the team down, he's getting ready to give them some words of encouragement. Many, many times, great coaches will take the time to begin with a word of encouragement. And, and knowing that the hard stuff's going to come, the challenging stuff's going to come, he wants to let them know, hey, all that's not lost, even though I have to say some hard words, you're still doing a good job. So he begins with these good words. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. What he's basically telling them is, he says, I, I know I'm, I'm not worried about you. I'm not, I know that you're going to get this. I know that it's going to come, and you're, you're going to understand this. You'll get it. You'll learn it. And so he says, I'm satisfied. But he says, I'm excited because I can see that you're full of goodness. You're full of, they were growing in their faith. They were taking on the, the likeness of Christ in their attitudes and in their morality. They were living as good people. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> so they were full of goodness. So they were displaying the fruits of the Spirit. They were developing as faithful followers of Christ. He says that also that they were filled with knowledge. He is excited about the fact that they were, the, the teaching of the gospel that they had, had a firm foundation. They're filled with knowledge. They knew how to grow in their understanding of who God is. They had good teachers. They had the word. And then he goes on to say, and also because you're able to instruct one another. They were able to take this knowledge of God and pass it on to one another. They were able to share. They were able to teach each other. Those are great things. Those are amazing things. It's, they were showing proof that their good theology was taking root. You know, I think if, if I were to describe our campus, I think this would be an excellent descriptor of who we are. We, if we look around, I see so much goodness in us. 
I see us growing in our love of God and becoming more like him. I also look around and I see that we're filled with knowledge. We know the word. Maybe not fully. We can always grow in our knowledge, right? We're not so full of knowledge that it's all knowledge, but, but we are people that know the word. We are people that care about the word. And we have the ability to instruct one another. What I'm so excited about is the way in which we're growing in our teachers. We have people taking on the opportunity to teach in life groups, and we have Sunday school teachers, and there's uh, children's teachers. And so we are able to instruct in the word. We are in a good place. But if you look with me in verse 15, so Paul, Paul says, hey, this is good. Love that you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're able to instruct. But in verse 15, he uses that dreaded word. He says, but. He says, but. And this but is, is, is there, and it's going to stop us in our tracks. Because it gets us to say, okay, it, that, those are all good. But what Paul is going to say is, those are all great things, but that is not all. There is more. A Christian community that does not progress past being full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct runs the risk of becoming an inwardly focused community. Where the only mission of an inwardly focused community is the sanctifying of saints. Now think about that for a moment. That's a good thing. That's a part of the Great Commission, right? Part of the Great Commission is to help develop and to teach the Word so that people can grow in their faith. But we run the risk, if we're only about goodness, being filled with knowledge and able to teach, that we become inwardly focused for ourselves. So Paul goes on to say, here's a but. He says, go back and understand. If we, if we are there, and I think we are, and and I, I see us growing, and I'm, I'm encouraged. So this message, may, you may hear it as harsh, but be encouraged by it. Because there's good things in it. So Paul, Paul goes on, he's going to say, we need to begin by understanding our calling. Look, verses 15 and 16, look with me. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul has been carrying out the calling that God has placed on his life. Now, now Paul has had a very specific calling. The, the call that, that God placed on Paul's life was very specific. He was called to a specific role. He was to be an apostle of the church. He was laying the foundation, the groundwork, for the church to build on for generations to come. So that, in some ways, Paul is, has a very specific role, but also Paul has, in his calling, a very general role. And so he doesn't get to the specific here. He's not saying, well, he is, it's specific and general at the same time, is what I mean to say. He, he's showing his specific role, but he's also saying in this, there are general things that we're all called to do. And he says about his calling, that his calling was a calling of grace given by God. So in essence, the calling that has been placed on Paul's life is this gift of grace. 
And I believe that generally speaking, this calling of the gift of grace is given to each one of us. It's grace. So as we carry out our calling, remember, it's founded in grace. That means it's a gift. That means that it's not a burden. That means that it is a joy and that it is something that is good, not burdensome. Paul doesn't say that God has given me this yoke of slavery. No, it's this gift that I live in. It's a calling to this grace. And each one of us have been given grace. And I love how Paul also sees himself in this passage, in this verse. He sees himself as playing part in God's overarching mission to redeem fallen mankind. He sees himself as a piece in the greater plan. And I think that's interesting that, that you know, for many of us, sometimes we, we see our lives as insignificant. We see our lives as just uh, uh, running down this path towards some end that may or may not have meaning or may or may not have purpose. But in reality, each one of our lives, the lives that we live now, are actually, we are important pieces in the God's greater plan to redeem all humankind. So Paul says, this is, this is how I see myself. So he's saying, you want to be a great skater? This is what you do. He's giving us three things right here to help us begin to see ourselves in a different way. See yourself as a minister of Christ Jesus. More plainly, what he's saying, be a servant of Christ. See yourself as a servant of Christ. Where Christ is your master, where you no longer allow man to be your master, you no longer allow yourself to be your master, but you allow Christ to be the master of your life. You serve him. We serve him. Why do we serve Christ? Because Christ is the way to find forgiveness. Christ is the way to be forgiven. Christ is the way to be reconciled back to God. Christ is the way to live the way that God has made us. Christ is it. So we should serve him. So we serve him as our master. Then he says, so see yourself as a servant, but see yourself also as a priest of the gospel. See yourself as a priest of of the gospel. We know in the Old Testament times that the priests were used to, to be the interceder between sinful man and a holy God, right? They were there, they were to go into the temple, they were to offer sacrifices for sin. So the person that was sinful was to come to the priest, and the priest was then to go before God and say, God, here, please accept this sacrifice for this person for the sin that they have done. And so what Paul is saying, he's taking that imagery and he's saying, in much the same way, we are to be priests, but not in the same way. Like, in much the same way, we're to intercede, but not in the same way. Because Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is the one that has already paid the sacrifice. So we're not coming for the sacrifice, but we are a priest of the gospel. We are the priest of what Christ has done. And so we don't wait for people to come to us. We don't sit around and say, I'm the priest, come to me. We are a seeking priesthood. We are a priesthood that takes the gospel to people that don't already have the gospel. We're to bring to them the message of Christ. So we are givers of the gospel because God is the one who has the power to save and to redeem. But then also Paul goes on to say, and my focus is laser focused. He says, I see myself as a servant. I see myself as a priest. 
of, of the gospel, and I'm going, where is he going? To the Gentiles. He knows exactly who God has called him to reach. I am going to reach the Gentiles. Paul was on a mission to serve Christ by sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. Basically what Paul is saying, everyone that's not a Jew is my mission field. Wow. So who is that? That's the majority of the population of the world. Probably in our circumstances, over 6 billion people was Paul's mission field. Well, in our day and time, it would be 6 billion people. I don't think there were 6 billion people alive back then. But, but you can see that his, his vision is huge. He's not selective. He's not just trying to, to, to be on missions for this small group or this small group. He has a huge, vast, large mission. So let us be reminded that our calling is not different. Our lives are not our own. We serve Christ. We are to intercede with the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul understood his calling. And I think in in many ways we understand intellectually our calling. I think we we get a good grasp of of what we're supposed to do. But sometimes in in our world, and I think we're going to get to this, in our world sometimes... We struggle to make the application of it or the living out of this. Paul's going to go on and he's going to give us some results of of what does it look like when we live out our calling. He's going to say, look at my life and see what God did in me as a result. So you'll know what it looks like when you live out this calling. Look with me in verses 17 through 19. He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way down to Ilycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I think it's interesting that Paul uses a word here that we normally see as a negative word, like there's no way that this word can show up in the Christian faith. And he says, it's of pride. Paul says, I have, when I look at the, my work, I look at the work, I have pride. Now there's a difference here in the way Paul sees this, and you can see this all through this, because Paul is using all of these different words to show that where his work and everything is coming from, it's coming from Christ. So Paul is not saying that I do all these things so I can be prideful so that I'm self-promoted. So that it, he is, he's saying, look at me because I'm the greatest, I'm awesome, I'm amazing. He's saying, no, look at me. Look at me as someone that has surrendered myself completely. Because Paul found great joy in giving up his life to Christ. So that Christ could work through him and accomplish amazing things. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm having, I have great pride because look what God did through me. Look at what he did. Through word and through deed, as the Spirit was working through me, as I was out reaching Gentiles, calling them to become obedient, the power of the Holy Spirit was working mightily in surrendered Paul to give him the words and the actions 
And what came along with that were great signs and wonders. Great signs and wonders because Gentiles were being saved. I think Paul is showing us this and he's reminding of this because he wants to remind us as believers we have great power. In us is the Holy Spirit that is Per, whose purpose is to call men to salvation. That's what the Spirit wants to do. But I, I fear, because I've been there, I fear that we think about the work of Christ and we think of the commission that's on our lives. And I feel like so many times we want to rely on ourselves. We want to rely on our own abilities. We want to rely on our, our own knowledge. We want to rely on our own wisdom. We want to rely on our own experience. We want to rely on our own power. And when we rely on ourselves, we deny the Spirit. And when we deny the Spirit, we actually are abandoning our call. Because we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. Paul, I love this too, Paul, it says, Paul is confident that he fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then he shows us the huge territory that he, he, he has worked. The soil that he has, or the, the seeds that he has planted. And what he's saying is, he's not saying that, that everyone in all of these regions... Everyone's a believer now. No, what he's saying is he's gone to new places where Jesus had never been heard before or the truth of the gospel had never really been proclaimed and he began proclaiming it and laying the seeds and then those, those seeds of the gospel began to take root in the lives of people and began to, to flesh itself out in the lives of those people. And so Paul could leave knowing that they were going to take over because they cared about their own people. It's not that the whole region was reached, but in each region... The gospel was there. So we need to understand our calling. We need to see the results of living out our call. But then I want us to, to see quickly that we are also called to build. We're called to be builders. Look with me in verses 20 and 21. Paul says, thus and I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build in someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Paul uses another word here that is, is interesting. He used pride, right? He's pride, my, my pride is in the work of Christ in me. That's, that's his pride. And now he goes on to say, but I have this ambition. I have this, this godly ambition. What he's basically saying, an ambition is in, a thing in which we orient our lives around, right? It's a passion that in which we allow that passion to speak into everything that we do, right? If, if my ambition is to be a successful business person, then that's the lens in which I'm going to view everything that I do. I may choose not to, um, I may choose to do this, or I may choose not to do this based on that ambition. 
If my ambition is to be healthy, let's say that's my ambition, I want to be a healthy person, then as I walk past the ice cream store, that ambition of being healthy is going to inform how I respond to that ice cream store, right? So ambition has everything. All of our ambitions speak into what we do. And so what Paul is saying is all my activities, all my desires and everything are filtered through this one ambition. And what is his ambition? To preach the gospel. I, I, I feel like, I know in my own life this is true, is that we live lives of competing ambitions or desires. We have, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have today as believers, is that we want to be followers of Jesus and something else. We want to be followers of Jesus, and then we have this blank where we fill it in with whatever it is, and that's constantly changing, right? Our ambition may be to be a good worker, or to be a good mom, or to be a good dad, or to be a good husband, or, or to be a good teacher, or to be a good athlete, or to be a good student, or whatever that ambition may be. We, we live in this world where we think we can hold to both of those at the same time. And Paul's saying, no, I have one ambition. My ambition is to preach Christ. That's it. You know, when we live these divided lives as followers, I know when we live this way, it causes stress in our lives. It causes shame in our lives. It causes anxiety in our lives because we're trying to live in two worlds at the same time, trying to do two different things. And it's no wonder we can't sit down and read our Bibles without our minds going all these other places because we have all these other ambitions and things that we're trying to coordinate when in reality we we sit down because we want to know Christ. We have total access to God. Divided ambitions get in the way. So Paul's saying, my ambition should be, his ambition should be our ambition. It's not selfish. It's the gospel. Paul wanted to go where Christ was not already known. He wanted to continue to expand the boundaries of God's kingdom. Paul had eyes. He continually had eyes to see those who are not yet a part of the family of God. I I believe it's true. I know it to be true that we are still called to be builders ourselves. We're called to be builders. God has placed us in areas of our lives where there are various levels of gospel saturation. There are places in your life where the gospel is so saturated that everyone that you know is a believer, but there are also places in your life that God has already placed you where no one is even thinking about God at all. We live in various levels of this gospel saturation, and if we're not careful, if we're not careful as believers, we will continually find ourselves seeking the sanctuary of gospel communities. This is what that looks like. What we'll do is we, we go to work and we're like, man, my workplace is full of all these heathens, all these people that don't know the Lord. I got to find a Christian. 
I've got to go to work so I can find another Christian so I can link arm with that Christian. Or I've got to go to my school and I've got to find another Christian so I can link arms. And what we end up doing is we think oh, we're going to link up and then we're going to be this massive force for the gospel in our workplace or in our schools. And what inevitably happens is we become linked up and we begin looking at each other and we're just talking to each other and we're not advancing the gospel in our workplace or in our schools. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to link up. But what I'm saying is, we naturally will link up and we'll turn inward. That's naturally what we want to do. But that's not what we're called to do. This is a challenge for us. Because the world is so harsh. We shy away from those that are unknown. By God, or they're not unknown by God, they're known by God, but they don't know Him. But if we make our ambition the gospel, then we live with eyes to see those who are far from Christ, and we're moved to engage. I, I think it's possible to live lives where we align our ambitions. Let me explain that for, for a moment. And you've heard me say it. I've said this before in many different ways, but you're going to hear me say it again. I, I believe that God doesn't say, be like a gospel person so that you take on the gospel into your world where all it is is you're, you're carrying a banner saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That's, that's, he doesn't want us to do that. He, doesn't want us, he wants us to live on mission in our everyday life. But if we take our ambitions, our worldly ambitions, and we place them before the gospel, that's when we get into trouble, and that's where we feel the stress, we feel the shame, because we're trying to chase two other things. But if we take the gospel first, and we say, okay, God, I know you have made me to be a communicator of the gospel. You've called me to be a communicator of the gospel, but then you've also given me the ability to be a teacher, to be a business person, to be a banker, to, to be a coach, to, to like this sport activity. You've done all those things, but I, those things can fall under line with what the gospel is and my ambition for the gospel. So I can live on mission for God and still do all the other daily things that I get to do. But I do it with a different intentionality. I do it with an intentionality knowing that I'm not just doing that activity for my own recreation, but I'm doing that so that I can communicate the gospel. So what does this look like or what do we need to do with all of this? I want to encourage us just to Just to think for a moment, ask yourself this question. Have you truly given yourself over to being a servant of Christ? Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ? And have you said, okay, I want to be a servant of Christ? Secondly, do you see yourself as a priest of the gospel? Like have, you, have you said, okay, I know I'm a servant, but God, you also want me to be a priest of the gospel, which again means an interceder to others with the gospel. Like, do you see that as your role? Do you take that on and say, yes, Jesus, I want that to be a part of my life? Maybe it's not right now, but maybe you see it as, I need that more. Then ask yourself the question, who is the specific people that God is calling you to? Paul fully understood it was Gentiles. So that, that meant Paul was going wherever he was going to go. Those were his people. 
But maybe you need more specificness. And who are your people? So that's the question you ask. If you're at the place where you're like, hey, I understand I'm a servant, I want to be a priest, but who are my people? Well, if you're a parent, it's most closely your children. Your children are your first people. If you're all your, your children know Christ and are believing the gospel, then they're outside of that. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, a, someone else you do recreation with. We look to and know who our people are. And lastly, I think I love the way Paul ends. Uh, well, we're going to stop here. He doesn't actually end here, but we're ending here today. I love verse 21. I imagine verse 21 kind of as, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but sometimes in college football, uh, there as, as the team is getting ready to exit onto the field after halftime or at the beginning of the game, they go through the tunnel right outside the locker room. Well, right outside, right before they exit, there's a, usually a sign or a placard above the door, right? Those who stay will be champions, play like a champion today, blah, 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 blah. And what happens is sometimes as those athletes are getting ready to go out of the tunnel, out of the locker room, they jump up and they slam it. They're like, yeah, I agree, I agree, I agree. They're giving it amen, saying that's what I'm going to do today. Well, I think verse 21 should be that for us. Because I love it. it. It actually, verse 21, actually comes from Isaiah 52, which is the, the, uh, um, where we're talking about the, the great servant that is going to come, which is Christ. As Isaiah is prophesying about this great servant that's going to come. He says, and this is the mission of the servant. The mission of the servant is coming, so this will happen. And Paul says, if that's Christ, then I want that too for my life. And this is what he says. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Man, is that the cry of your heart? I think in essence, that's the message for today. Is God wants that to be the cry of our heart. That those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. May that be who we become.